all, Ram McClurkin here, Sports and Ann TV. So the podcast you're going to listen to today was an interview I did with Keith Carling at Queensland Raceway last year during the Nationals. We grabbed 20 minutes, hopped into John Goulet's transporter and did a quick interview. The sound quality is a little bit up and down, so I do apologise, the phone rings, but I thought it was too good not to put on the podcast. Um, Keith Carling is a legend and um, it was a real honour to chat to him um, and I hope you gain some insight into um, Keith and the very infamous 300ZX that was very quick at Bathurst. Enjoy, guys. Okay, we're here with Keith Carling. Now, he's a humble man, I think, um, but he's a bit of a legend for some of us. Keith had the 300ZX twin turbo, and um, Keith has graciously agreed to sit down and have a bit of a chat about it. So, how you doing, Keith? <laughs> Good, Red. And where do we want to start with this car that, in some of our eyes, especially the Nissan guys, but well, the sports sedan guys, is a bit of a mythical car in some ways. How did it all begin? Are we talking to 300Z? Yes. Okay. That's interesting. We had the RX7 um, in, at Sandown. And um, I had a friend who was actually a Nissan dealer in Dubbo, and he was one of the sponsors. And he said, oh, you need, if you're going to Sandown, you need to catch up with the guy who is the Nissan Motorsport Manager, who used to run, you know, Fred Gibson stuff and all that sort of thing. <sighs> I just, I can't remember his name. Uh, he's a really, really nice guy. And anyway, he came over and he said, why have you got a Mazda with a, a Nissan engine in it? And I said, oh, well, because we've just been, we've built quite a few Mazdas over the years and uh, we've always had turbo engines and probably since 19, I think, 88, right through till 90, well, 90, 90 and, uh, and I said, well, the cost really, we, you know, we're only a budget operation and uh, we wanted a turbo engine. And he said, well... There's a new 300ZX coming into Australia shortly. Um, would you be interested in uh, building one of those? And I said, well, yes, okay, I suppose I'd like to. And they said, well, there's three cars, evaluation cars in Australia now. We can't sell them because they haven't got ADRs. Um, and so we're going to throw them in the crusher. Before we, before we throw it away, would you interest? Would you be interested in um, getting the you know fog glass mould and what have you from a 300ZX? And I went, yeah, that would be interesting because you know. Anyway, so Barry Campbell, who I'm here with today, uh, I said to Barry because he used to do all my fog glass work. He flew down to Melbourne. And, and uh, Nissan's plant in um, with the, one of these 300 ZXs and did a full body body mould for the 300 ZX. And had you had you seen a 300 ZX no. when they brought no, it up? Nobody. You had no idea what it was going to look like. Obviously, you knew what the earlier Zs were, but you, there was a bit of a departure with the 300 in the body shape. Yes, it was. And uh, anyway, we thought, oh, this is going to look pretty pretty nice. So, um, and then 
we got onto Phil. Well, Phil Ryle had been building some of the Mazda stuff. Uh, Barry used to buy uh, build the chassis for the Mazda, and then Phil Ryle would do all the uh, running gear and whatever. And we thought, well, if we're going to do it properly, let's do it properly. So, um, thought, okay, we're going to build a complete new car. And obviously, Nissan were interested in keeping the V6 engine and all that sort of thing. So, the chap from Nissan said, look, if you want to go to um, America, um, here's the contact details for Nismo in California, who were doing all the, the, um, the IMSA. IMSA cars yeah. and what have you. Well, okay, that sounds okay. So we went, so we went to America and met these guys, and they were really, really nice guys, and uh, told him what we were doing. Anyway, so we ended up, we, uh, we got some parts for the V6 that were obviously you needed to keep the thing alive. Yep. And um, we wanted, uh, we got a lot of stuff from that. And then Phil decided that we needed the right turbo. So he sourced a couple of um, X Renault Formula One turbos, beautiful little turbos and uh, anyway so we put the thing together it took took a couple of years and we finally put the thing together and it ended up being quite a weapon and so the motor I know a lot of people were like it just had an IMSA motor in it but it sounds like it didn't it had like some IMSA parts some F1 parts and some stock parts there were stock parts yeah but there was lots of bits from the from America yeah that which would keep it Going, living, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but it was very good. In those days, um, very, very early days for the injection of the vacuum. And in fact, when we were talking to the guys in America, we ended up uh, we were talking with Richard Bentel, who uh, Bentel, no, Richard Orbit, who was part of just the early days doing the, the fuel injection type stuff. And uh, so they actually, through us, got on to him for to getting some of their stuff through their stuff as well. But, um, yeah, we had a – it was very agricultural in uh, – you know, In modern in, terms. In the, the, yeah. Um, we, all we had, we had a, like a knob to, to turn the boost up and things like that. And uh, yeah, it was quite uh, quite agriculture, but anyway, ultimately it did, it did go very well. And so I suppose it's okay to say now because you're not racing the car anymore. But what sort of power did you have? What sort of boost were you running to make that power? Was it was it like, was it on the edge of hand grenading all the time, or did you run it quite conservatively? Well, uh, I, I was running about two bar, and. Um, the, the car won, weighed about 1,100 kilos, and I reckon when we ran at Bathurst, you know, those two races at Bathurst in the championship, I think it was 1,000 horsepower. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Um, the issue there was obviously that the transmission was a bit of a, an issue because we had a, uh, uh, a DG3, I think we'll see, the gearbox. And the second race... In Bass, back at in, after Bathurst, the um, oh, you could hear it. The, the 
groundwork opinion, which is roaring. Yep. And so we thought, okay, we're going to need another gearbox for sure, something a bit bit stronger. Yeah. And uh, through, you know, back in the day, this was back in the day when the Indy cars were uh, running in Surface Paradise. And John Pollard, who John Pollard and Graham Wincup and I used to run through Bob Jane, when Bob Jane was running the, uh, the Indy back in those days, we used to run the sports cars and sports sedans, etc. And uh, so I knew John pretty well. So John had a lot of contacts in America and he got on to Carl Haas and said, oh, look, we, you know, we need a, a better gearbox. So we had a, uh, uh, organised a new gearbox. When the India, Indy cars came over, we put it into one of their uh, containers and brought it in and we just took the ute up and took the... Took the that, and of course, in those days, you had to take everything back. Yeah. All the American stuff had to go back. So we we got a VGC, yeah, really, really not, you know, yeah. money. And uh, we um, put, um, well, I said, oh, we've got a bit of a worry here because we need to take some weight. So uh, we ended up with about uh, six or eight um, um, cartons of forex gold. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that took up the weight. Exactly. <laughs> the Americans could sample some Queensland beer that went on the return. And they, they rather enjoyed that. <laughs> so, yeah, so we got the VGC. And then, of course, after that, it was, yeah, it was pretty it was much better. And you ran, uh, was there one or two events that you ran at Gold Coast in the... Um, two or three, two. And what was, like, with the, we were going back to Gold Coast this year. What was it like back then there? They're great to watch on the fuzzy YouTube videos that exist, but what was it like being there in, in, in that? Really difficult. Like, uh, it gets so hot. It was, uh, it was so hot. And we didn't have the brakes on the car. We thought we, we thought we had great brakes, but compared to what we see today, um, it was nothing like that. So everyone ran out of brakes. Um, it, it, like, uh, the engines overheat, overheated. Um, and then... You know, the tyres went off, all these sorts of things, because they were longer races. Yeah. So, yeah, they were very, very tricky, those races. So as exciting as they were to watch for us, it was quite a challenge back oh, then. Absolutely. They were, they were probably the hardest races, those indie ones, for sure. And so with Bathurst, we touched on Bathurst just before. Um, I think we were talking earlier, You up until recent times, you had still had the sports sedan lap record there is that correct yeah yeah 92 i think also and so back in 92 what sort of lap time were you doing what oh. sort of like we love you know people love to talk about top speed what sort of speeds were you reaching well they had uh they had the radar set up the police had the radar down Conrad Conrad Conner straight and we were doing uh 300 315 as it just as you go into this into the chase oh wow so if it's potentially a bit more than that by the time... Well, whatever, but yeah, it was pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, another funny little thing. Poor old Phil, who, who, uh, Phil Ryle, who uh, built the car, he was really concerned about the car getting over, he, over, yeah. over the... Yeah. So, <laughs> and so he ended up putting a big big lump of metal in underneath. Are you serious? <laughs> the car down. <laughs> So were you finding it quite light in the front? I didn't know. Like, oh, you thought no, it was fine. It was fine. Yeah. I yeah. thought it was great. It was, it was very exhilarating. 
and back then I suppose were you just putting the biggest wing and the biggest front splitter that you could run? Was there any aero oh, testing or was it just... Look, look, we had one practice session yeah. and then into the race. Yeah. And uh, so really we just set it up what we thought of what happened. When we did uh, the practice session qualifying, um, the car was bouncing all over the place so we, we had to reset the shocks and all those sorts of things. But everything else, that was all we could, we could do. But uh, no, the car actually went... You know, what you can see from the from the, uh, the the video on the from back in the day, the car actually did it went brilliantly well. And is it true? I heard the rumor that after race one, you may have been told quietly near to slow down in race two to make it more of a race, or is that not true? Or are you pleading fifth <laughs> or whatever it is? <laughs> oh, really? I just again, I knew the I knew the the, the, the diff was probably having issues so I did I did whacked it down a bit. So it wasn't that you were that you were asked to slow down, you actually just needed to be a little bit more conservative. Yeah. Well I did I did what I wanted to do in the first race. I think we, we won by the length of the trade or something or other and I thought, okay, we've done that. We'll just go back and do our you know, do a quite quite a deal a bit. Yeah. Now with that car, did you ever get to have a good attack at the championship? Not really, because um, it really wasn't up and running. I think I, I can't remember. Now, this is back in the 90s, I know. The car was only really still, you know, we was just really uh, just starting to, to put it together. And then, you know, in the end I uh, had, well, it was a business situation. I had a, a, a um, in, in that particular point, I ended up having a, uh, the ability to take over uh, the whole franchise for A.B. Jennings in the western New South Wales, and it was going to be a big deal. Yeah. So I basically said, well, okay, I'll just put racing aside and and work for a few years. Uh, Kerry said, oh, you know, if you want to sell it, and I, and I thought about it, and I said, yes, okay, well, I'll sell it. That's why I ended up buying it in uh, was it 93 or whatever it was. In. So, again, another rumour that was floating around that was that the car was banned. And I thought that for a long time, but it sounds like that was never the case. Look, there was there was people who were a little bit upset about it. Um, but they were... They, it, it was quite... Uh, what would you say? It was uh, eligibility fault-wise. It was fine. There was nothing wrong with all that. Uh, but... I think when I sold the car and then Kerry decided to put a Chevy in it, um, everybody said, oh, it's, you know, they've been all quietened down. Without going too much of it into the current situation that we have at the moment from a similar type of car in a way, not the same, but another Nissan turbocharged going very fast at Bathurst and obviously that's got people talking. Is it sort of funny to think that 92 that happened it's taken all this time for a turbo car to start showing its potential what's your sort of general thought on that is that funny or do you think it's oh well it's you know he, he had the issue the guy from tasmania he had the issue that i had which would just tear the tires off yeah uh and that was obviously his issue as well um so that you know if we'd had you know traction control and all sorts of things that the car would probably go a lot quicker yeah 
But I don't think it wasn't even a chassis car. I don't think. No, it was not. It's a no. four pan car. So um, yeah, so I, I'm not surprised that they did it, and it was it was good doing all the all the things. Are you surprised it's taken this long though? Because you know I understand that back then it was quite uh, early technology in the turbo injected sort of world, but it's taken this long for it to sort of show that turbo could be quite threatening in the class. But that's a big well, yes, gap. but but see, I always knew that a, a quick turbo car was going to be very good. Next car, yeah, you know, it's a, a classic example. And, um, you know, it's, a, it's a disappointing that Nick's had so many issues because I think that car is a definitely a winning car with just the um, FJ20 on. So, uh, no, I, I, I always thought it was going to be a quick, quick car. Uh, but, Sorry, but, um, but you're right, I think it, 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 it is surprising that it's taken this long. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of talk, there's been a lot of talk online about where your actual car is right now. And I know that Kerry purchased it off you and he built a second car based off your car. Is that correct? I'm not really sure. Okay. I know the car, my car, uh, Phil Ryle put the turbo engine out and put the Chevy in it. After that, um, I'm not too sure what happened after that. I know it basically ended up uh, with Graham Bailey, Chicken Man. Yes. And his son, I think, ran it. Uh, I know that was the physic, you know, that was pretty much the car with the Chevy in it. But I think it's moved on from that as well, so I'm not too sure. Because it then went to, now Anthony McCready has it, and from my, that's where it sort of gets a bit interesting. I know the motor, I had a gentleman who runs like one of those prototype cars, and he has the actual motor, but not the turbos. Uh, we don't know where the turbos went, but um, I know that whenever I posted it online, there's a fair few opinions and family people that are very confident that they know where it is, but supposedly, I think the, the, the strongest thing I've heard is the chassis was uh, remade, copied and, and strengthened, and the original chassis may have ended up at the tip or something like that. I so. don't know. I really yeah. don't know. And we, as far as the turbos are concerned, um, I... And again, it was a wild rumour uh, that I somebody told me that they had gone to Rockhampton or somewhere like that on a speedway car or something, but I really don't know. I don't know. So I suppose the 300 lives on in little bits and pieces in various <laughs> cars, and the myth has grown beyond it, what it was, yeah? Um, is there any um, sort of things finishing up, like, that you would like to let everyone know about this 300? What was some, you know, was there any quirky things or? It wasn't quirky, it was just a magnificent car. And and it was fabulous to drive. Absolutely fantastic to drive. Um, you know, it it was, uh, you know, imagine, you know, 300 k's down at Conrad Strait. Uh, it took a long time for any, even the, the supercars or anybody to go to get that speed. So, uh, yeah, I was, I was pretty uh, excited and all that. I know, um, yeah, it's quite funny because when, with the first race, uh, when I car, brought the car back in, um, you know, Phil and I had put so much effort into building that car, we just, we hugged each other. Um, yeah, it was really quite emotional because we, you know, we knew what the car was like and what it could do and, and when it, when we did that that first race, 
know, I, I was just, you know, I, yeah. It goosebumps. showed everything that you guys had envisioned and planned yeah. and thought that it could do. It showed that it was capable of it. Absolutely. Yeah, it was amazing. It was an amazing car. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for having a chat with us and um, for building such an iconic sports sedan. I think that it will forever be one of those cars in the class that stands out and has and has such admiration and respect. And so I think that's pretty amazing, this class, with so many great builds and, and, and fantastic cars. So thank you very much. Not a problem, Red. Appreciate it. Rise into the chase for the final time. So the battle within a battle. Kerry Bailey will be happy with second place. That gives him the Australian Sports Sedan Championship for 1992. Coming down, putting a lap on one of the slower cars right at the end of Subaru straight. And Keith Carling in the Nissan. Gets out to go on and take the chequered flag. Barely over Kerry Bailey. Des Wall finishes back there in third place. And that was a very entertaining sports sedan five lapper here at Mount Panorama. And the punters thought that was fabulous.